Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have become real to us because we believe that helps us apply them to our lives better and we can draw more power out of them that way. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and today we're having a special roundtable discussion, uh, a discussion on Paul that we'll get into in just a second. But I have two guests with me today. One of them is a returning guest, uh, Dr. Gay Strathern, who is... Uh, a uh, specialist in New Testament studies, did her studies at uh, Claremont uh, Graduate School, has been an associate department chair in the uh, Department of Ancient Scripture, the department I'm in, and is now the associate dean in the College of Religious Education, the, the college that I'm in. But more than that, is just a, a great person, a great friend, and I, I think a profound scholar. She always has uh, deep and, and thoughtful things to say. No pressure, Gay. Um, and then we have... Uh, we we have with us also, uh, I think it's our first time to hear from him, but uh, I hope not our last Dr. Lincoln Blumel, who is also a close friend and did his uh, his degree at the University of his PhD at the University of Toronto. Uh, also in, in uh, I think, Greek and uh, early Christianity, if I remember right, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, and uh, is the head of our graduate program in religious education. So welcome to both of you. Great to be here. Thanks, Carrie. Yeah. So maybe we can say, Lincoln, what else should we know about you? And then we'll give Gay a chance to to talk. Well, I uh, I love uh, digging in Egypt with you. And so if there are any, when we go to Egypt, I love there as long as there's some Greek or Coptic texts. It's uh, it's fantastic. So love yeah. to love Greek and Coptic, papyrology and epigraphy. It's fun to take Lincoln and we go to these uh, storage magazines and people say, oh, you can read this. And they give him things and, and it looks like Lincoln's in a candy store. He's just so happy <laughs> looking at this stuff. So. Uh, good. And Gay, what else uh, did I leave out or should we know? Oh, I don't think you left out too much. It is graduate uh, Claremont Graduate University. They changed the name halfway through. But that's, ah, that's I apologize. Um, and uh, yeah, I love I love the Bible. I love studying it. I have from a very, very young age. And uh, I believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it was translated correctly. So um, I, I'm happy to chat anything about the Bible, but particularly Paul. So thanks for inviting me. You're welcome. And I, I guess uh, my, our audience can probably tell that uh, Gay is from Australia and Lincoln is from Canada. So I am in the minority today uh, as uh, someone from the U.S. So anyway, it's, it's uh, good. We're not catching your Canadian accent as much, uh, Lincoln, but if you could talk about your mom, then we'd be okay. So um, anyway, <laughs> Thank you for being willing to be on with me today, and uh, we're going to just kind of discuss Paul. The second half of the New Testament, really starting partway through Acts, is really just dominated in many ways by Paul, and uh, he's the the one that, uh, at least as far as we have record, seems to, to have uh, the greatest impact on taking the gospel to Gentiles. Uh, I always wonder who we'll learn about when we get more records, but uh, but. In terms of the letters, uh, at least being attributed to Paul, uh, he dominates that as a result. In many ways, he dominates uh, Christian thinking and understanding of the atonement. And I would say as, as Latter-day Saints, I think we find uh, teachings that agree with the Book of Mormon. We find them largely in Paul. Um, at the same time, Paul can be a little bit tricky. So I'll I'll just say... The one course that uh, we offer uh, in our department that I've never taught is the second half of the New Testament. And that's largely because there are so many people who specialize in it that really want it that uh, I 
I feel bad if I were the one teaching it. But also, I have to admit, I just struggled personally a little bit with Paul. Uh, he sometimes seems a little uh, overbearing uh, or excitable. Uh, sometimes Paul is uh, difficult to understand. Some of that is because of our translation, but some of it is just the way Paul writes. Uh, I think uh, he can get very Greek. Um he uh, sometimes says things about uh, his uh, culture that as we try and transfer it to our culture or is difficult and so on. And so uh, I, I often find myself having a love-hate relationship with some of the things we study here in the second half of the New Testament. I find Paul to be a little bit difficult. And uh, see, I find Isaiah to be easy and Paul to hard. So um, I... I would guess I'm not alone in my audience with that. So I thought I'd ask two people who love Paul and who I've heard explain Paul and explain him so very, very well to come on and help us understand Paul a little bit. So maybe maybe we can kick off uh, and it, well, I'll just kind of push the ball this way and uh, or throw the puck out or since I'm talk talking with Canadians here, I, if I knew a cricket metaphor, I'd do that uh, yeah. for you, Gabe. But um uh, by just asking Gay to kind of start us off. And from there, we'll just have a, a conversation. But uh, Gay, do you have some just some overall strategies? And then Lincoln, jump in and we'll just see where we go. Okay, thanks. Um, well, the first thing I want to say is uh, where some people might think that he's a little overbearing. Uh, another way that we could think about it is that he's bold and yeah. he's bold in his testimony of Jesus Christ. And uh, um uh, but sometimes you're right. He, he uh, we need to understand what he's doing and where he's coming from. So one of the things that I like when I'm uh, teaching uh, Paul's writings is to remind our students um, uh, about techniques that they can perhaps think of as they're trying to read and understand Paul. And I think the first thing to under to understand is the genre of uh, Paul's writings in the New Testament. Um, sometimes uh, we can be reading scripture and the primary question is, what does this mean for me? Uh, but the reality is that Paul isn't writing to me. He's uh, uh, rather modern readers are kind of um, looking in from, from a distance, a distance in terms of time and culture um, and uh Socio sociological issues and things like that. And so um, this isn't like the Book of Mormon where Moroni says, I've seen your day and I'm writing to you. So that means as readers, we've got to approach this a little bit different. Even within the New Testament, you can't read Paul like you're reading the gospel or Acts where it's kind of much more narrative. He is writing letters. And so we've got to read it from that from that perspective. So there's a couple of things that I think are important here is that he's writing to a specific church or a specific individual, and he's responding to their needs, their questions, their issues. Um, uh, and so we've got to try and take some time to try and work out what what their experience is. We've got to know something about the saints at Corinth. We've got to know something about what their what their experiences are that is causing Paul to write his epistles. So um, uh, I, I often describe this with uh, my students as we're listening into one side of a telephone conversation. 
And so we've got to, in some ways, got to try and recreate the other side of the conversation so that we can understand why he's saying it. So sometimes Paul is not talking specific eternal principles that are true in every situation and ever across time, but he's responding to what they're experiencing. So that's an important um, uh, way of thinking about how I'm going to approach uh, reading Paul's letter. So I tell my students, there are a couple of questions I think um, everyone should try and answer uh, when they're looking at uh, one of Paul's epistles. Number one, who is he writing to? And um, uh, and what do we know about that that person or that group? So we can get some of that from Acts. Acts becomes very helpful to the extent that uh, it's historically accurate. Um, but we can also look for clues in the epistle itself, which tells us, gives us clues of what Paul is trying to say, why he's trying to say uh, what he's doing. Um, so then we kind of want to, I, I suggest that we look at, so what do we see as the major theme that Paul is writing to in trying to answer their, their, their difficulties? And then, and then after we've established all of that, I like to say, so what are the doctrines taught um, and how do those doctrines and the principles then apply to me? So there's some background that we have to do um, when we're reading Paul. Wonderful. Thank, thank you, Gay. Uh, Lincoln, anything to add or even uh, specific examples of any of those things? Or, Well, you know, yeah, I'd echo a lot of what uh, Gay says here. To begin with, I, I maybe, you know, when people say, you know, Paul's got hard to understand. Well, when you read, you know, 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, a similar kind of comment is made. There are many things, there are some things that are, that are quote, hard to be understood. And, mm -hmm. and so I think there is, however you want to get a passage, some sense that, yes, Paul's letters are not always the easiest um, to approach and understand. And to pick up on the point that Gay made, you know, and I think we probably teach this, you know, quite similarly, is I often tell my students, I say, look, in Paul, there's stuff that's both timely and timeless. And you need to look at it this way. So there's some very timely counsel that is really for there and then. And of course, there's timeless counsel, right? Witness of the resurrection, uh, among other things, very powerful, that then relate, right, really transcend his um, period in which he lived. And, and so one of the things I think, you need to do when you look at Paul, just to, again, to echo what I said, is, you know, look at context, right? It's specific, right? Paul's not writing, you know, First Thessalonians saying, well, there's going to be a group of Christians reading this some 2,000 years from now. He's writing it addressing a specific issue, and he will uh, address, you know, that issue as best he sees fit. And, and something that's challenging is there's lots of embedded information, right? Like that analogy of a telephone call. We're only getting one side of a conversation. And so there's a lot of implied information that is not explicit. It's like you start reading somebody's email, you're only getting one side of the email. There might be some references there, and you're saying, what is going on here? But unless you know the situation, it becomes quite difficult to understand. And you could interpret it in a few different ways. Yeah. And so I think that's important to bear in mind. Something else I think is important to bear in mind that Paul will, you know, periodically say in his letter saying, you know, there's a lot that I need to say here, but don't worry, Timothy or Eutychus or somebody else, he'll give you all the details on this. And so it's already recognized that from the start, this letter is not everything. And so to kind of flesh things out, make things, you know, perhaps maybe even more, you know, understandable zone audience, you're having a letter carrier um, who's then going to come and explain and give commentary on that letter. And so those are a couple things I think are worth, you know, keeping in mind uh, as you approach Paul, especially read some material, you know, in Paul, you say, okay, what exactly is saying here and what does this mean? 
really helpful. Thank you. So uh, let me ask you both another question. Um, by the time this airs, we will have uh, done a kind of an overview on Paul's journeys. Uh, what? How important is it to understand the, the his different journeys for each letter? Are there some that it's more important for uh, understanding the historical context and others that we can just tell people, okay, when you're coming up on this one, make sure you've done some some historical reading or something. Uh, what would you say along those lines? Well, I, I don't know. I would say Acts, right? Make sure you mm -hmm. know the book of Acts, because Acts really is um, a, you know, kind of, I, I would say, the skeleton for understanding of these missions, but then even reading the letters. And, you know, Acts does not cover everything, right? It's pretty clear. You'll start reading some of Paul's letters, you know, for example, in Romans 15, he said, I've been everywhere from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, right? This is modern, you know, parts of Croatia, which Acts never talks about. You'll have references in some of the pastoral letters, like in um, Titus to, you know, Crete and Icopolis is never mentioned a single time in Acts. And so recognize that Acts is a useful narrative. And certainly for even, you know, begin to structure Paul's letters, but it does not include everything. There's details um, that you will learn in letters that just don't appear. In the Acts, and you know, I look at the, the Acts of the Apostles, you know, it's a great resource, but I kind of use the same, you know, caveat you have in the Book of Mormon with Mormon that, you know, I'm not writing but quote one one hundredth of what's actually going on. This is the Book of Acts, it's about one one hundredth, maybe even less. But it is helpful then to frame these epistles, especially because I do believe that Luke's a missionary companion of Paul and that part of Acts is written, I believe, when Paul is actually with him. And yeah. so I think understanding the missions. Um, you can often then go back and you can read, for example, you know, the beginning of second, you know, uh, Corinthians about Paul being terrified for his life, which fits in well with Acts 19 and, you know, getting out of town and riot in Ephesus. And so there's things I think really do help understand some letters if you can, you know, grasp the narrative framework of Acts, recognizing that Acts does not include everything. So can I add to that? Um, I think it's also important to understand uh, the nature of uh, Paul's missions and that he is an itinerant preacher, right? So except for some exceptions, Corinth and probably Ephesus, uh, Acts is telling us that Paul is coming to a city, he's teaching, he's there for a few weeks, um, but then he moves on. And so, uh, so he's establishing a group of people who have a very, very basic testimony of of Jesus Christ and the gospel, and then he leaves. But that leaves means that there's lots of questions that people, as they're starting to grow in the gospel, that they have. And so these letters then become important uh, means for Paul to respond to them, even though he has has left them. So he's going to find out what's happening because um other Christian missionaries or travelers are going to come through and saying, oh, did you hear what's happening in, in Corinth or Ephesus? And, or he's going to have them writing letters to him and he with questions. And so he's going to be responding to, to those kinds of things as well. So understanding how the process of the mission and that he's, it's not like he's spending a long time with them and really developing their testimonies in great depth. He's he's leaving them for the most part when they're very young in the church. Good. Maybe I can even add add to that. I think for me that's been a really important uh, element of understanding all of this. And and I like to think of it if we were to compare it to growth in the the restored church early on, 
uh, there's a there's some key differences. Joseph found, uh, for example, in Kirtland, when some missionaries went and taught people in Kirtland, but before he'd moved there, that some weird stuff was starting to happen, right? And we, we always have this uh, with the gospel as whatever belief set we've had before we encounter the gospel, then the gospel comes. Typically, people try and mesh the two together. Uh, that's just human nature. Like, okay, I don't know what I'm, what I should hold on to, what I should reject. And, and typically we try and hold on to as much as we've already, uh, as much as we can of what we've already thought and believed. And then, uh, we mesh that with the new and Joseph Smith often complained about trying to get the saints to stop believing some things and start believing other things. And it was just so hard to get them to, to change their mindset. Um, and we've even found, for example, uh, during world war II, when uh, members of the church could not travel, leaders of the church couldn't travel to, say, Europe and other places uh, to kind of regulate and make sure things were going the way that they should, that by the time they could get back, that there were different beliefs, different practices going on and so on. Uh, we live in a day where that's hard to understand because they're, we can communicate so easily. Um, but even so, that's why general authorities travel is yeah. to make sure that uh, that beliefs aren't uh, kind of getting skewed by the local uh, beliefs that, that you already had and um, uh, to make sure practices aren't getting skewed and so on. But Paul didn't have the that electronic option and he didn't have uh, the boats and planes like they did after World War II. Um, and the places were further away than between, say, um, uh, Fayette and Kirtland, right? So... Um, I, I, my sense is that quite frequently, members of the church were trying to figure out how to reconcile the beliefs of whatever their, their local beliefs were and their new Christian beliefs. And they had questions uh, and practices that they had questions about. And sometimes they didn't know they needed to have questions. And sometimes they did have questions. Sometimes so, uh, someone who was a fairly new convert, but older than them, uh, came in and taught things that weren't exactly what Paul agreed with. And uh, Paul was often answering questions or correcting mistakes is what, what my impression is. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. And can I give you an example uh, where we see this? Yeah. And, and I love this uh, with First Thessalonians. Paul has clearly been there and he's been teaching them that Jesus will come again. Right. Um, but some things have happened after he's left that uh, the saints they don't have the, the broader context of what that means. And so um, in in First Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, it seems that, uh, as Acts tells us, once he leaves Thessalonica, there's some persecutions going on. And uh, some of the saints apparently have, have died. And uh, they're, they're starting to think, okay, well, hang on a minute. Uh, you said that Jesus was going to come. Where is he? Why hasn't he come? They have these questions because they only have a, a fairly elementary uh, understanding. And so Paul then has to go and teach them more about uh, the coming of Christ, uh, when it's going to be, what it's going to be like. Um, and it's in that context, probably also in Second Thessalonians, where um, uh, that's the, the, the background before... Um, behind Paul's teaching on the apostasy that Latter-day Saints are really interested in. But it, we've got to see that as part of a subset of this major theme that he's talking about is the parousia or the coming of Christ, when it's going to happen. And that the, some of the saints are thinking it's going to be, it's imminent. But Paul's saying, hang on a minute. No, I need to give you some more information. So let me 
um, help you out. And so we have the, the things that he's teaching in that kind of context in First and Second Thessalonians. Lincoln, it looks like maybe you had something to add. Oh, well, well yeah, just to, to pick up. And the other, the, I was thinking of the Second Thessalonians, I think it's uh, 2 5, where Paul you know, is correcting them. And he says, Don't you remember? I told you all these things when I was with you. And I was repeating it again. And so try to, you know, there's time to kind of, you know, to, to sink in. The saints understand that. But kind of pick it up with another example, um, you know, in terms of just issues that are coming up that a, a lot of letters are written to, you know, very, in many cases to address issues that are going on. And, you know, one case, you know, 1 Corinthians, there's clearly a letter that's been sent, right, by those of, quote, the house of Chloe. So there's a church meeting in the house of a woman named Chloe, and they've sent a letter to Paul. And in fact, he'll actually even recite this letter at least once in 1 Corinthians back to them. And so, you know, as you can kind of work through 1 Corinthians, you can see the issues that are being addressed. And, you know, understand 1 Corinthians, right, I think to really would be helpful is if we had the letter, here are the list of all the questions we have from you. I think we can kind of reconstruct the contours of it to some extent. And now he is going back and now addressing these, so it seems, kind of one by one. Um, but, but another issue brought up, just kind of jumping over to that, is this issue of communication, right? We take for granted, you know, instantaneous communication, right? If Salt Lake City wants to make an announcement today, it can reach much of the church in a day, right? Probably even in that afternoon, yeah. right? It begins to spread, you know, electronically. And, you know, I think there's this famous case of, you know, uh, two later, much later Christians, Augustine and Jerome, they wrote various letters to each other, but they had a big falling out because one sent a letter and it ended up getting lost and delivered literally 10 years later. And so all these problems kind of brewed up because of this. And so I think you think with Paul's letters, you know, Paul's going on and only in a handful of cases do we have a second letter, right? So we know, right, Paul writes 1 Thessalonians, well, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, but 1 Corinthians, which is a pretty hard letter. And then he writes 2 you know, Corinthians where he says, look, that first letter I wrote, that was tough to you. I was even in tears because I had some really hard things to say to you. But, you know, Again, that might have been a few years later. And to go to your point, you know, um, with some of these things, you know, Paul goes, but he might be gone for years before, right, an associate like Timothy or someone else, or himself able to make it back. And by that point, right, the church could have grown in kind of this, you know, different direction. And so he's then addressing that issue. And so, um, you know, there's this real challenge of communication that probably Paul learns of something. And then how do you now fix it if you're, you know, you know, hundreds of miles away in the ancient world, which, you know, it's a really, you know, tough, you know, bridge to, to, you know, to get, you know, to make a gap on that bridge. So, um, yes, churches kind of grow up kind of in the wilderness. And Paul seems when he comes around to then offer some correction um, as it comes up. Wonderful. Thank you. And, and in a way, you bring up something else that I'd love to ask uh, you about, both of you. Uh, you say he writes this letter that's kind of hard, right? So, it seems to me that sometimes Paul can be a little bit curt um, or a little bit uh, uh, harsh. It is Maybe harsh isn't the right word, but um, and even sometimes like, uh, you know, he, he uh, splits with his senior companion, Barnabas, uh, over taking uh, Mark with him. Uh, Mark has done something Paul doesn't like, and uh, Paul doesn't seem willing to forgive Mark. I kind of like Mark, actually. So, uh, so I, that that one's hard for me. But anyway, I... Uh, uh, well, hang on, hang on a minute. Yeah, okay. In Colossians, he seems to be reconciled with Mark, okay. right? Yeah, okay, so yeah. we've got to add that bit as well. You're right. You're absolutely right. So, but I guess my question is, I'm okay if... This is just someone with a strong personality. And it's clear Paul has a strong personality. I mean, from the first moment we meet him in Acts where he's uh, ascending to the death of Stephen and so on, um, he has a strong personality. 
and uh, and he's learning to temper that. I, I'm okay with that. I, I've, uh, you know, Joseph Smith had a strong personality that he was learning to temper. He was the first to admit that. Peter seems to have a fairly strong personality that he's learning to temper. Uh, I am learning to temper my personality, so I'm okay with that. But I guess my question for you is: Do I just need to say, okay, that's Paul? I'll be patient with him, like I like him to be patient with me. Or are there some cultural things that I'm just not getting? that uh, would help me with this. Can I jump in uh, on that one first? Uh, uh, I understand that, that Paul comes across that way and, uh, and rightly so in some respects, but I always want my students to look for the other times where we see a very emotional Paul as well and, and his great love for the people. So I like them to, I guess I'm getting stuck on first Thessalonians here, but uh, you see it in a lot of places, but when Paul is writing to the Thessalonians and he says, um, chapter two, uh, verses eight and nine. So being affectionately desirous as desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you are so beloved by us. Um, for remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel. Um, and then if we go over to chapter 3, verse 10, we get this very, very, I think, tender verse, where he says, night and day, praying exceedingly, that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. So I hope then that when we're talking about his boldness, which is definitely there, that we kind of temper that a little bit in terms of everything that Paul is doing, all of the sacrifices in time, in persecution, in away from family or whatever that looks like, He's doing this, number one, because of his great love and commitment to Jesus Christ, but also this idea that he loves these people that he has taught. And even though he's only been there for a short period of time, he's constantly thinking about them. He's praying for them. He's, he's, um, uh, he's worried about their circumstances and what's happening to them because they choose to follow Christ. And he knows something about the price that needs to be paid to to commit to being a follower of Christ. And he knows he's not the only one paying it. So I think that that's an important counterbalance to yeah. appreciate when he is tough because these people do mean a lot to them. Their eternal salvation means a lot to them. And so uh, sometimes he's very direct. Yeah. yeah, And he does remind me of Joseph Smith in that way, someone who loved so deeply and was so compassionate uh, and yet, because of that love, sometimes was really, really direct and uh, and and sometimes quick to have uh, other reactions and feelings. So yeah. uh, that's that's a helpful model. Uh, how about you, Lincoln? Yeah, you know, I'd start by echoing. Yeah, I think there is this profound love that Paul has for those he you know works with. Like say, being Second Corinthians says, "I was weeping when I was writing this letter." You know, and I, I don't think there's a lot of exaggeration. It was really hard. It was gut wrenching. But he says, I was so happy when I heard that, you know, we get to chapter seven, you had this, you know, quote unquote, KGB, this godly sorrow for what you had done. So there, I think there's a, number one, he really genuinely loves the people. Um, I, I do also feel here, and maybe you'll have to excuse me for this, maybe you do a bit of, you know, you know, psychologizing of Paul. 
you know, something I think that we know more about Paul than pretty much any other figure in the New Testament, right? Over half the over half the Testament are letters of Paul, right? Yeah. Um, when you look at this, and so we get to know Paul at a very intimate level better than anyone else. And when you get to know somebody, right, you begin to see, right, you get to see all these different facets of them. And so I think he profoundly loves people. I do think something about Paul, and here, you know, this is kind of my, you know, psychoanalysis, Paul. I think Paul, right, he has a great zeal for whatever cause he believes in. Like he says, yeah. I persecuted the church of God or the Galatians. I had zeal. I couldn't stand that somebody's breaking the law. So I always talk when he self-describes as I had zeal, I had zeal. I think now he takes that very same zeal, that love and says, now I'm going to apply that to the gospel. And so he has, you know, profound love, but also I, I think, you know, he, he can be one, right? Yes, I think you know, there's an issue with, you know, John Mark, right? Colossians, right? They kind of, you know, coming back together. You, you can see something in Galatians 2 with him and Peter. So I had to rebuke Peter, right, for the quote-unquote dissimulation that he had, where Paul has this great zeal where he loves, you know, the gospel and will do anything for this. And so I, I do think that makes him a great missionary. I think that makes him somebody who is willing, like, for example, in 2 Corinthians 11, say, I will you know, endure shipwrecks. I will endure, endure beatings, all this for the gospel's sake. But at times, it may be a person that at times has a very you know, strong opinion on how something should be. And maybe there's a little bit difficulty when you're dealing with, with others. I get that sense. And that's not taking away anything from Paul, right? We all have things that you know uh, we, we struggle with, challenges with. Um, but I also think that makes him a great missionary. He says, I am yep. determined with the zeal. I will do whatever it takes for the gospel's sake. And, mm -hmm. and so that's kind of a bit of a picture of Paul. And, and one final thing that comes to my mind about, you know, just to return to this, this, how much he loves his, you know, the people he's working with. When you look at Paul's letters, there's definitely a structure. And the structure you can identify letters, you know, begins the standard introduction, right? Paul, you know, an apostle, or Paul, you know, maybe in Timothy, or Paul and Sosthenes, right, to a church. And then you also have, right, what, what you then have in letters is what's known as an epistolary thanksgiving. So you have a quick introduction, and then Paul will always say, I want to let you know how thankful I am for you. I've been praying night and day since I've been gone that you are doing well. And in the different letters, right, this might be a couple verses. In Ephesians, it's 19 verses. Interestingly enough, it does not appear in Galatians, right? Yeah. It goes right from introduction to, I can't believe you forsake the gospel, right? There is quite irritated that letter. <laughs> but yep. th this structure here shows he really cares. And so you have an introduction, then he has this, you know, kind of prayer of been praying for you, thinking of you, then you have the body of the letter, then you have this conclusion. But yet, it's really uniquely Paul to do this, but yet it shows a great love for those he has ministered. Final thing, you know, I, I go back to, right, Proverbs, right? Um, you know, uh, you know, a wise person can effectively take rebuke. And I think sometimes what I take from Paul is, you know, yes, you're loving, but sometimes if you're really loving, the best thing you can do to somebody is to, you know, really tell them how it is. Yeah. And I think Paul does that because he genuinely loves them. Even if it comes off, you know, kind of, you know, um, you know, hard at times. Um, but he does it because there's this genuine love that he wants the people to change. And I can think I add that... one more? Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. If it's all right, maybe just I, I think yeah, no. if we put in what you were going to say uh, or what you said earlier, Gay, with that, that. I think it's likely you have to be a little more clear and and uh, in your rebukes if you're not going to see these guys again for three years. This letter is your chance to to make something change that you you can't mince words and you can't say I'm going to do this and then I'm going to uh, stay with you for uh, three months to make sure it's happening so I can say it a little more softly. He's got this one shot and he's got to take it. So anyway, sorry. Go ahead, Gay. 
Well, no, I was just thinking the other thing I think context-wise that's important with understanding Paul is that uh, he's writing his letters at a really, really difficult time in in the church's uh, development. Uh, honestly, uh, the church is at a crossroads. It's, it's threatening to split in two over the issue of... Um, uh, Judaizers and Gentiles joining the church and what yeah. that looks like in very, very practical ways. Um, and uh, I think my reading, at least of Romans, is that this is at a, a point, he's writing this, where that tension is so strong that if he doesn't do something and he doesn't get the Romans on board, he's afraid that the church will fracture. And so the, he's having to deal with those kinds of things as well, trying to keep people together trying to keep them uh, growing in the gospel in positive ways, trying to get them to see the value in, in other people and what they bring to the church as well. Um, and, and frankly, he's having to call some people to repentance. Um, and he knows what that's like because of his personal experience. Right, One of the things I think that haunts him throughout his life is that I persecuted the church. And uh, it's really hard for him to get over that. Um, but he knows what Jesus Christ can do, even for someone like him. Um, and if he can do it for him, he can do it for others. So it's trying to get them to to um, to realize the importance of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what it can do and keep people together in this fracturing type of things that are going on in the church at that time. Uh, that's that's very good. And I think it, it raises another point. Uh Paul took rebuke very well. I mean, we we saw him being rebuked pretty sharply by the Savior, and his response was actually pretty incredible. Yep. And and there's a part of me that doesn't wonder if he doesn't just expect everyone else is like that because that's his experience, right? And yeah, yeah. Uh, and we probably need to remember that as well. Uh, I know that I, a lot of times I share things with someone expecting that they'll react the way I would. And they're a different person and they don't react that way. And it surprises me. So uh, Paul may have that as well. And I think it's also worth uh, recognizing Paul. I mean, he's he's very transparent about his own growth. And he's clear that throughout all of these letters, he's in his own growth process. Uh, and and it seems to me that uh, a number of those letters are probably written while he's in prison. And, and he talks about... Uh, the new depth he's finding and the the new way he's he's coming to God in Christ. And so we probably, uh, just like Joseph Smith, who says he's a rough stone rolling, um, we probably should uh, give Paul that opportunity for growth, just like we hope everyone will give our us opportunity for our growth. Um, and also going back to uh, something you were saying, Gay, uh, it, it seems to, I, I would agree 100%, and we'll talk about this as we go through Acts, or well, by the time this airs, we will have talked about this as we go through, we've gone through Acts, but there, the the issue of the Gentiles in a church that started out as all Jews is a, is a huge, huge issue. And uh, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like there were significant or at least important groups that that split with the brethren over their decisions about uh, some of the, some of the decisions about how much they have to be Jewish and how much Gentiles don't have to be Jewish and so on, that, uh, that there were groups of uh, Jewish, even Pharisaic or Pharisee uh, Christians that disagreed with where Paul and Peter were taking the church on this issue. Is that correct? Uh, 
Yeah, I think so. And and I think even there is, uh, because uh, uh, God unfolds his doctrine, um, we would see it as line upon line at times. I think that there's not just growth in, Pete, in Paul, but there also is in Peter. Oh, for sure. And, uh, and there are some things that the Lord has said, like, go you into all nations. But then he doesn't say, okay, go into all nations, and this is how I want you to do it. So Peter's trying to work it out. It was a difficult I uh, think mm-hmm. even for Peter to kind of sort through and he had to get a further revelation for it. And he goes, oh, oh, OK, with um, Cornelius, I, I get a sense now. But even then, he still had learning and growing to do. Yeah. And Paul's in that learning and growing. And sometimes Galatians 2, um, there's a situation where they're at different places in terms of their understanding of what this means. The doctrine is, is sure, but what it means in terms of how it's is applied in specific situations. Uh, very good. Very good. So well, even, I, well, even though, even though Paul has, does have a go with Peter. Um, I think it's also true that uh, Paul has continuing an ongoing respect for Peter. He is one of the pillars of the church. And while he may disagree on some certain issues, he we don't uh, he continues to have that um, uh, loyalty uh, to Peter um, and recognizing him as a leader of the church. I think that's also important. So I've I've heard discussion and read uh, in academic literature discussion over whether we would call Paul an apostle with a capital A or a small a. Uh, meaning uh, apostles, someone who's sent forth, right? So really uh, all uh, in in the New Testament, everyone who's been sent out, Barnabas, whoever else, uh, Philip, they're an apostle of some kind, right? And and they're sent out by the church. So they are representing the church. Um, so the question is, is Paul uh, that kind of an apostle or has he got, uh, risen to the, being part of the 12, right? And and in some ways we may be retrojecting more of our own organization than, than is reasonable, but... Uh, uh, that's a question that I think is worth, uh, uh, that's a question that's worth discussing, I think. That, that, that is a, a big question, right? And, you know, it's kind of this distinction, right? When we, we when we talk about the church today, we, we say apostle, we really mean one of the 12. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, when you look at this word, right, you know, apostolos, right, it's just from the verb, right, to send forth. So it's one who's sent forth. And even the King James, there's people who are called apostles. The King James rendered apostle, like Epaphroditus. Um, is called an apostle in you know Philippians. It says they're messenger, but it, actually the Greek word is apostle. And and so what you have is you have right. I think it's a nice distinction, kind of a lowercase apostle, i.e. missionaries. And then you have apostles who you would say like uppercase a, right? Um, for one of the twelve, um, you know Paul does. You know certainly as the letters move along, will always frame himself right. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, or you know Paul, an apostle not of man, right? In Galatians. Um, but we don't actually have a definitive right source say, okay, here now Paul is ordained as one of the 12, right? You get in the book of Acts and Judas, right, is gone. And Peter said, okay, we need to refill the quorum. And the lot falls upon, right, Matthias. And, and there he says, right, in around verses about 20, 21 in Acts, he says, okay, we're gonna, we need to, you know, refill this quorum. And this person, right, you read, you know, the, the, you know, what he says there is they should have been there from the start of the ministry of Jesus and be witness of the resurrection. Now, obviously, Paul is not going to be there during the ministry, but he's a witness of the resurrection. So the question, you know, for some would be, at some point, does it just become, you can become, you know, a capital, you know, a apostle, 
if you are a witness of the resurrection. I am inclined personally, although there's not definitive evidence for this, I would like to think at some point Paul becomes one of the 12. Certainly in Galatians, right, he says, I was there with the pillars of the church. He's at the Jerusalem Council doing things. But we certainly don't have, you know, the evidence of him actually being ordained like Matthias. Yeah. You know, uh, we have, you know, the death of Judas. You know, you wonder, you know, in Acts 12, when James is killed, you know, who replaces James, right? Presumably that same thing would have taken place. Right. Um, and there's no talk of that. So does Paul replace him? Does somebody else? Does James brother Jesus? We don't know. Um, I'd like to think something like that would happen. We don't have the evidence for certain, but I'm inclined to think he does become one of the 12, although, right, it's not certain what we have from the New Testament. Yeah, I, I would argue um, very much similar to, to Lincoln, that he starts out as a little A apostle. He and Barnabas are representatives of the church in Antioch, and he goes out and um, and teaches in that perspective. Um and in 1 Thessalonians, what we think is his earliest epistle, he doesn't say, I, Paul, an apostle. So it's not mentioned there at all. Uh, but I think that there are certain people, uh, maybe in Galatians, uh, but I think even more clearly in 1 Corinthians, that are questioning Paul's authority and saying, you know, uh, who made you boss over us? Why have we got to do what you say? Um, and Paul responds to that really, really strongly. Um, and, uh, and so 1 Corinthians chapter 9, um, we have, uh, I think, the, the other side of the telephone conversation. I think the evidence that people are saying that he's not an apostle, because notice how chapter 9 starts out, verse 1. Am I not apostle? Um, right, I think that that's a re reaction to what they're saying. Some people are saying in in uh, Corinth, uh, "Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? And are not ye my work in the Lord?" So he's saying there is evidence for my authority, whether that's capital A apostle or not, can be maybe debated. But that revelation that he received from um, of Jesus from Jesus Christ. For him is such that's his his call, right? He's not getting his authority from other people. He's getting it from Christ Himself, and that for him in his mind is uh, definitive in all things in terms of what he's doing and his authority to do things. I'm like Lincoln. I think that at some point he moves from a little A apostle to a capital A apostle although I would love some more specific stuff. I have lots of questions that I'm going to ask when I get upstairs, right? I have an yeah. ever-growing list of them. And <laughs> one of too. them is the, tracking down Paul and go, oi, oi, talk to me about this um, in terms of the whole issue of your authority. Um, but I think he is saying, I'm not one of the original 12. I'm the least of them because of his persecutions. But he is associating himself with them. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, maybe we can uh, spend a few minutes on uh, something you mentioned earlier, Lincoln, uh, distinguishing between the timely and the timeless, right? And and perhaps I think in our day, some of the issues that uh, are most uh, pertinent in this are some of Paul's teachings about women in the church. Um, and he has a number that uh, I, I'll tell you, I have some uh, friends who are uh, Christians of other faiths, 
uh, what I think it was, uh, was it uh, Elder Renlund who called them our Christian cousins, something like that. But uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're all Christians, but they're of other uh, Christian denominations who take it pretty seriously and uh, uh, will not let women uh, speak in certain situations. And uh, I know of uh, uh, even some of our LDS uh, chaplains who have had uh, other Christians uh, walk out if they're going to speak, and not because they were a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but because it was a woman uh, speaking. And then there are other Christian denominations who uh, have said, okay, no, that's that applied to their time, not our time, and so on. Uh, give us some guidance on that. How do you approach this issue? Um, I would say the first thing is that we've got to, again, appreciate that Paul had a huge amount of respect for women. And those kind of things sometimes get lost in these kind of discussions. Um, I think of Chloe, um, who uh, Paul takes really seriously and listens to her when she sends messages and saying, do you hear what's, do you, do you realize what's happening here in Corinth? And Paul acts on, on that. So he respects her and uh, is responding to, to what she says. And he takes that as seriously. I think the other one, and, and the difficulty is that we get so few verses about the women in Paul, but I think these are important representatives, um, is in um, uh, Romans 16, where Paul is sending this letter uh, to the Romans, and he chooses Phoebe to be the letter carrier. Now, again, I mentioned I think that this is a pivotal letter at a really, really important junction in the church, and he needs uh, the Romans on his side as he's about to travel to Jerusalem. Um, and so uh, in such a sensitive issue, I don't think it's happenstance that he chooses Phoebe to be the letter carrier. And as Lincoln has said, this isn't like our U.S. mail where they just uh, drop it off. Um, the letter carriers just drop it off. But they then become the, the, the um, oh, what's the word I want? They represent the sender. So if the person has questions or needs uh, about the letter and what's in it and needs to understand it better, uh, this person then helps to the, the receivers to understand the intent of what Paul is trying to say. And in a really, really sensitive situation, the fact that he chooses a woman, to me at least, says gobs about, is that a word? I don't know if I can use yeah, that. Yeah, that's a word. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> about Paul and his respect for women in the church. Right. So these women are sometimes called uh, in, in, in Greek deaconesses. Um, and, and some people take that to a step saying that this is kind of a, a priesthood thing. Uh, the word can mean that, but it can also mean a minister. But I think yeah. that this that Phoebe has a, uh, uh, a response, an important responsibility in the church in Corinth, and he chooses her to then represent him to the Romans. Very helpful. Thank you. And, you know, we can build on it. We can also just add to this list, right? Lydia, also in yep, Philippi, yep. right, where Paul yep. established a house church and clearly uses her as an important, you know, uh, you know, helper with his uh, missionary uh, endeavors there. You know, as we think about, you know, some things that, that Paul says, you know, what I think we should frame it by, right, is, you know, Paul makes a couple comments where he talks about male and female. And so one that comes up is in Galatians 3, 27 to 28. I just want to read that for you, right? And I think we think this is what Paul says ultimately, and then he recognizes, right, he will have some views. 
that were common in the first century regarding right uh, females, um, just like we have views today that are common, right, a, a female or other things in the 21st century, right? He he is in some sense uh, is a person of his times. That that shouldn't surprise us. Yes, you can be both inspired of God and still be firmly rooted in the environment and culture in which you live. But we we all uh, are. We we yes. all do this, and so we shouldn't you know fault Paul for that. But I think for me, what's really key here is a couple of verses, and maybe I'll even mention another one. You know, in, in Galatians, where he, he's trying to you know writing this hard letter to the churches of Galatia with a problem uh, in the law, and you know, really you know pushing, saying, "Yeah, you need to follow the gospel." Right? The, the law served a purpose; it was good, but now it's the gospel. And then he says this: He says in twenty seven twenty, he says, "For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ." Then he says this is really key. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And he says something you know similar in 1 Corinthians 11, 11, right? Neither is the man without the woman, the woman without the man in the Lord. You know, as Paul looks at this, right, he says, yes, men and women absolutely in the eyes of God have equal access, right? There is this equality. And it's very clear um, in that. Um, within certain social situations, a person of time, Paul does, right, um, he, he will take at times a bit of a hierarchical approach uh, to this. But I, I think that's really important to keep in mind. He says, no, ultimately, right, we're all equal before uh, the Lord. He says very powerfully. And even what's really powerful also, especially so, is even, right, he says bond or free, right? He even talks about slaves, right? Slaves are, are just property at this point. And, and you know, some people say, well, why isn't Paul a full-on abolitionist, um, right? Um, yes, yeah, slavery, you know, about probably maybe 10% of the population of the Roman Empire at this point is slaves. But, you know, Paul does exhort, right, slaves. King James always translates slave as servant, but it's often slaves. But Paul says, or nevertheless, this relationship exists, but treat these people as, right, quote, beloved brothers or sisters, right, in the Lord, which would have been really radical thinking in his day and age. Um, to talk about this. Even here, he says, look, before the Lord, it doesn't really matter what your earthly status is, whether you're bond or free. You're just one in Christ. And so um, I think there's some things we might want to place upon Paul from our own perspective, but in his own day, right, if we use the term, he is very progressive in saying, look, yes, there are these realities that exist, but with the Lord, some of these things don't matter. You're one in the Lord. And so I think as you approach some of these you know, passages, like Paul says, to keep that in mind where he has these really just very powerful, I would say timely, not timely, timeless passages, where he, he says some of these very powerful things about our status as really children of God before the Lord. And we do have that example where he goes to bat for Onesimus, a runaway slave, and he writes to Philemon, and, and he's saying, look, I want you to to take him back or be kind to him or um, because, and then he goes on and saying, it's not like you don't owe me anything. So he's calling in his chips in trying to uh, get Philemon to um, uh, to work with Onesimus, who has joined the church after he's ran away. Um, the other thing that I would say is that um, uh, sometimes we take passages out of context and, um, and, and they don't come across well. Um, so one example uh, that I think is, uh, I call them prickly passages, and this is definitely a, a prickly passage in my mind, is 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 and 35. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not uh, permitted for them to speak. Um, now, uh, there's a Joseph Smith translation there to change to rule, but 
uh, even without the Joseph Smith translation, I think it's very clear Paul is quite okay with women speaking in the church and prophesying in the church. Uh, back in chapter 11, he, he has no problem with them doing that in verses 5 and on. The concern he has that women are doing it in culturally inappropriate ways by not having their head covered, but, but he's fine with them praying and prophesying. So for me, then, the question here is, what on earth is Paul saying here? I think we have to put it in the larger context of chapter 14. And so what's happening in chapter 14? Um, we've got some people in Corinth who are causing divisions in the church and saying, I'm better than you because I have the gift of tongues. And and you only have, you have other gifts and the gift of prophecy, and that's not really as important as the gift of tongues. And it's in that context that Paul is saying, saying this um, to the women. So my wondering is, is it some of the women in Corinth who are pushing this agenda of uh, I'm better than you because I have the gift of tongues? And Paul is saying, whoa, 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 settle down, right? Stop creating divisions in the church because you think that you're better than than other members of the church. Um, and so in, 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 and, and we get something similar to that in First Timothy as well. But I wonder whether um, Paul is going to call people to repentance bluntly, men and women. But sometimes we focus on these specific verses and kind of use that then as our template for thinking about what Paul thought of women. And I think that mm. that's unbalanced in what we're doing. But he's going to argue with both slaves and women and children. So just, it, I think it's important that we've got to read these things in their context and not just lift it out and try and make it into our context. Wonderful. And just, just a very small just addition to that. I think that's a great point. You know, think of the context and also, you know, again, the timeliness, you know, we don't know what some of these things, it's just saying in this congregation, right? There is this problem, therefore I'm calling out this person or these people. And then to extrapolate that and make a universal print, you know, you know, doctrine from that is going well above and beyond what Paul's trying to do, right? He'll make a point saying, okay, this, there's a problem here, therefore do this. It's very particular. Um, and just to give an example, you know, of this where, you know, Paul will make particular rules, right? To go back to 1 Corinthians, right? We were kind of, you know, 9, 10, um, 11, you know, there a lot, you know, you have an issue of eating meat, Right. So a question that arises is, can you eat meat that at some point before had been offered to idols, right? All meat in the ancient world had been sacrificed, right, to a god or goddess. Afterwards, you know, it's sold in a butcher shop. People eat meat. So the question that arises for some Christians is, even though I wasn't part of that sacrifice, if I eat that meat a day later or whatever, or I'm at a party, is that okay? Am I somehow being infected or am I somehow condoning idolatry? And what's interesting is if you go back to Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council was kind of generally just avoid this altogether. Well, Paul takes a more you know particular approach because of some needs there. I think people also just, you know, dietary needs says, you know what, you know, if you don't want to eat it, don't do it. Because ultimately these gods don't even exist. So therefore it can't actually harm you. So the only reason why you should avoid doing this, if you're, you know, somehow, you know, worried yourself, right, or being you know, swayed by adultery, or you're offending someone else. And so it gives a very particular context saying, you know, in this case, don't worry about it. And, you know, we can think today in the church, right, we have general rules, but also some particular rules that might vary from place to place, you know, missionary dress standards, 
right? There's kind of a standard, right, approach, but depending on where you might be, it might be a little bit different depending on what country you are in. And so you do see some of this in Paul. And so to an overarching point, some of these things he can be saying that, you know, as case said, appear rather prickly, could be just very, very specific to just that congregation and a certain issue arising in that congregation. Very helpful. And then he, and then in that case, he couches it in, in terms of love. When you're making choices about these things, uh, agape is how to do it. How am I? How uh, what I choose to do? It's not just about me and and my rights or feelings or whatever. But how are my choices going to influence others? Right. And Paul says, whether you eat meat or not, I don't care. Right. But I do care if what your actions do is going to have an adverse effect on somebody else who's young in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I do care very much about that. Yeah. That's really, really helpful and useful. Thank you both. Um, so we might uh, wrap up now, but uh, give you each a chance. Anything else you'd like to say about Paul or strategies for understanding Paul or uh, tell us to use a different translation as well or any, what, what do you have for us? So let's see here. Last time we went, uh, uh, gay first, so we'll let uh, Lincoln go first this time. You know, a, a couple of things I, I I would say here. You know, um, you know, I don't think it's inappropriate times to consult other translations uh, for Paul. Right, the the King James uh, is a good translation. There are some challenges. Right, it's, you know, four hundred plus years old, and so sometimes a more contemporary translation, you know, read side by side, may be helpful. Um, certainly in trying to understanding what what Paul is saying, because there can be kind of intricate you know, arguments being made. So that would be one point I would make. Something else, uh, just I think a point worth, you know, it's making in general is we don't have all of Paul's letters, right? We know we're missing a, a previous letter to the church at Ephesus. We're missing a letter to the church at Laodicea. We're missing a letter to the church at Corinth. In fact, I, I'm of the opinion as one who works a lot of ancient letters, we're probably missing dozens of letters of Paul, I could imagine, right? Yeah. Over this 20, 25 year ministry, I imagine he wrote many, many letters. Yeah, so it's, it's just the way it works. Thing. You almost have to be missing more than what you have. So yeah. Yeah, so, you know, um, and just a final point, just to kind of pick up what you said before, you know, a lot of his letters, he's addressing issues, right? So if it comes up, uh, you know, across as, well, why is Paul always rebuking or do, doing some of this? It's because he's writing a letter because, well, I read a letter because there's a problem now. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the one letter, I, I'm for me, I find a little bit different. And it's not, you know, all like that. There's certainly some like, you know, 1 Corinthians, Galatians. But for me, you know, uh, Philippians, a beautiful letter, it's a bit yeah. different. Right? There's not, doesn't seem to be a specific problem in the church at Philippi. They've learned he's in prison. They send somebody to help him out to bring a quote unquote gift, which I think is probably some money. And Paul says, well, tell me about the branch. Let me now write a letter back to them. And for me, there's really profound, you know, doctrinal truths, right? You have this Christological hymn in the second chapter where I, I think, you know, if there weren't some of these problems, you have some Paul's letters where he's saying, you know, things are going well. Let me now tell you some other things about the gospel. You're now ready for the quote-unquote meat of the gospel, not just the milk, because he says it to the Corinthians. It's all you're ready is for you know, the basics. Um, to keep some of these things in mind, right? They're, they're, they're timely addressing issues. And so as you begin to apply, Paul, look to what are some of these eternal truths? What are some larger principles um, that he has? And one final thing I'll say, right? I talk about Paul, right, being really zealous. Uh, Paul has a lot of humility. And in fact, at times he will say, this, especially like in 1 Corinthians, he'll say, you know what, here is my advice. But he says, the Lord's not saying it. It's just what I'm saying. Yep. And so he's welcome to say, here is my best opinion on the matter. He says, nevertheless, I'm an apostle, but here's just my opinion. He says that you know, repeatedly uh, you know, in 1 Corinthians 7, when he deals with some thorny issues um, there. And so he, he does recognize that at times, here's just his best opinion on that. 
based on the information he has. And I think if you keep some of these strategies in mind, I think it will open up Paul and, and you'll be able to read Paul in a way. And I think you'll get a lot more out. I think a lot of readers will do that to keep, if they keep those, some of those things in mind. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I guess I just want to reiterate uh, uh, how much I personally love Paul and uh, I love his commitment to the Savior. I, uh, in all situations, right? So we have an example in Acts and his first mission where he's stoned, right? Uh, mm. Persecuted. And the next day, what's he doing? He's up and he's back and he's preaching the gospel. If ever there was an opportunity to think, uh, uh, I'm not feeling so well, I'm not going to church today. Um, Paul had the, I think, the, a, a valid reason to to do that but no he's up and he's preaching it reminds me of the prophet joseph yeah. when he had that time and he was pulled out and beaten up and tarred and feathered but the next day he's up and preaching and i see a lot of that in paul and and i would suggest i think the prophet joseph loved paul right he yeah. quoted for him a lot and i wonder if some of that isn't because he relates to paul and the experiences that that the prophet is is having and seeing Paul dealing with some of those same situations. Um, so we we I, I think we said this giving him some grace in the prickly passages I think is a, a really good thing. Um, the other thing uh, we've talked a lot about and I just think it's so so important is context, uh, Paul's context, and I just want to kind of. Uh, refer to Ephesians chapter 5, where we get another one of the prickly passages about women submitting to, to their husbands, etc. But I want us to kind of put that in the context of how this chapter 5 opens. And this, for me, is really important in understanding those, those prickly passages. Be ye therefore, he says, followers of God. And, and the Greek word here in Mimesis is to, to imitate God. And Paul is going to say that, right, follow me, not because what I who I am, but because I'm trying to imitate God, right? Yeah, or, or emulate, uh, is that also a good word yeah, for it? And, yeah, 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 yeah. So be therefore followers of God as, and, and King James translate this as dear children, but the Greek word here is agapeta. So it's this agape. This is as people loved by God um, in, in the way that God loves. And walk in that agape love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Now, that to me is just so critical in understanding all of this chapter and what uh, Paul is saying. For him, love is about the type of love that God has. And he's defined that as uh, love which is sacrificing for somebody else. Um, so when he talks about men being the head of the women and things like that, he's talking about we should have love for each other. And that mm. love is not who's in control, but that love as I'm willing to sacrifice for you, whether it's the male or the female. That's the interaction. Um, that he's looking, but he's putting it in his cultural context. Um, 
And so I love that aspect of Paul, but you've got to see that in context. You can't just take a couple of verses and rip them out of their context and say, oh, look, and interpret it. You've got to put it in the context, um, both in terms of the chapter, but also in terms of what Paul's mission was to do, what he was called to do, to, to go and preach to Gentiles and kings and Jews. And so he has this really wide-ranging mission and even though most of what we think about in terms of his mission to the Gentiles, but he's also trying to keep the church together and seeing people have this kind of agapeta, this love to love one another as God loves him. And for that, I, I really appreciate Paul. Oh, thank, thank you both so much. That persuades me to be a, a Paul fan. So, okay, thank, uh, I, this has been really useful for me and I hope it's been useful for others. Uh, and I, I feel it's important since we're just going to read a whole lot of Paul now. So uh, I am grateful that you would both spend uh, this time with me and I look forward to other times we'll spend together. But uh, thanks for doing this roundtable. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we'll invite our audience that if you find this to be helpful, that you'll share it with others. And uh, we'll just uh, look forward to doing more great things together. So bless you all.